Hello, Mission Smart listeners. This is David. But Vicky's not with me today. Who's with me today? Richard Dalton. Richard Dalton. Now, we've been friends for I don't know how long. Ten years? At least. At least. One of my besties here. Longer, yeah. And we've been talking about life and stuff and ESL and a lot of the topics that we're going to be talking about for so long that I think back of all the cafes sitting and talking about all this. Now we're like, hey, why don't we just sit down and do do a few podcasts on this? Yep. Richard, what do you do now? So I'm the education director at Connect Language Center, which is a program of World Relief Memphis. And uh, we teach English as a second language um, to the immigrant communities in Memphis. Um, And um, we also have a teacher training program that's called Connect TEFL. TEFL stands for Teaching English as a Foreign Language. And we train teachers how to teach English here in the United States. Many of them are going abroad. Mm -hmm. And um, it's pretty cool because everything that we do is all in one center. So people who are learning how to teach English get to learn how to do that with our ESL students. Yeah. And so um, it's super fun. Best job ever. Well, I know what you're talking about. We, we, we dreamed these up, didn't we, Richard? We sort of, I can remember dreaming about how we're going to get, you know, developing ESL here in the city and mm-hmm. training people. And it all started with Connect Tuffle. Mm-hmm. Let's start training teachers. Mm-hmm. We wanted to raise the bar mm-hmm. of quality ESL. And then uh, with my background, I may have mentioned it earlier in a podcast that I had done my master's in English with a concentration ESL way back in the 80s, taught ESL at the university, here to refugees, and then went overseas and taught all those 20 years. But when I came back, the idea was... I wanted to see what was going on in ESL here and found that there were some needs. There were some holes. And Richard, I think you had finished your master's by the time I got back or? May have been in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. We had all those meetings with like Charles Hall and Lisa Goins at Cafe Eclectic and other people in the city teaching ESL and doing stuff. Right. Um, Yeah. At that time I was at U of M teaching at Intensive English for Internationals and taking the same master's that you took, um, probably in the middle of working on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it was all in the context of ESL is not just a skill you do here, but what you could take with you overseas. And then we began to talk about people needing it here in our city. Mm-hmm. Um, which led to developing the CLC and Connect Tuffle. But also, we've had so many conversations about this field of ESL, and you've brought a lot of those topics when people take the Connect Tuffle. You teach some lessons that aren't just about linguistics and methodology and lesson planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the course is, um, it's a, the, the Tuffle course is a methodology course. Mm. Um, so you're learning everything from how the brain acquires language to how to put together a lesson plan. Um, you're learning about culture and how culture affects teaching a classroom of ESL students. Um, 
grammar, how to teach reading. I mean, it's it's all kinds of different topics in one. Um, uh, yeah, and there's a practicum. There's a there's a portion of it where you have to actually practice, teach, and, and observe, observe others. ESL classes and yeah. But I remember when we were putting that together, we wanted to have a section in there on. We called it a theology of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the original idea was, at least when you and Tammy were putting Connect Tuffle together, and I was kind of on the periphery because I was busy at U of M. Um, the you were you were really getting in the into your um, consulting role mm -hmm. and getting into. Um, Working with churches, you saw a lot of the needs in churches and the needs that people who wanted to go into missions had. And you were seeing a lot of the, um, the dynamics that you ended up writing about and the dynamics that you ended up consulting people on, counseling people on around how, how they're thinking about missions mm -hmm. and kind of how this a common approach that you also saw a lot in Turkey where mm -hmm. people would get some kind of credential or background or training in something that was very Christian, maybe a missions degree or Bible, Bible. degree or something like that. And then they, they lived in a community where they couldn't use it and mm -hmm. the struggles that came with that. Yep. Connecting with people, yep. developing an identity in one of those cultures. Yeah. And so I, I always laugh at when you ask Charles Hall about, you know, what does it take to start a TEFL certificate? <laughs> And he <laughs> said, do you have a printer? <laughs> well, that all, that's because he knew there was no uh, governing board internationally, but right. there is the TESOL International, which basically says these are the standards. Now they do. Now they yeah. have standards. Yeah. yeah but when yeah. we talked, you're right. Yeah. That, that whole, yeah, um, certificates in TEFL have gotten to become more legit over the last several mm -hmm. years with... Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, used to be, and maybe still, you could get one, like, with a Groupon for 60 bucks and Exactly. Learn nothing and, yeah. Online. Just or, read yeah. some articles, right. watch some videos, right. and, and you got it. Or something like well, and I also saw, you mentioned people going into it as missions. And during my entire time overseas, and even when I came home, what I was watching was people going into this field. Uh, with the end being, I just need some kind of identity. I need some way to connect. And it seemed a little bait and switch mm -hmm. with, um, you know, what do I need to do? I guess I need to have something to get me in the country or to hide around what I'm doing. And it was, um, I just remembered early in my journey, someone telling me, why don't you be a real ESL teacher? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is and that you, involved? You saw the the good and bad of people using that field. Yeah. It's, you know, because there's healthy expressions of it, and then there's, you know, more the bait and switch aspect of it. But, how? yeah, I, how did you get turned on to ESL as a yeah. way of... So when I was out west in school at Biola, I had a... Uh, a friend and his girlfriend that later became his wife. And they were just, they took upon themselves. They both were professionals in one was going into linguistics and ESL and the other one was going into medicine, but they had really must've read some things, but it was, you know, this is like mid eighties and they're asking mm -hmm. me hard questions about what are you going to do? 
when you get in there? How are you going to connect to one of these? What, what were you stu- were you what kind of degree? Were I was you studying in intercultural there? studies and okay. missiology. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was I was studying what I thought I needed as a foundation. Come being a boy from Midtown Memphis, needing to wrap my head around international cross cultural work, <clears throat> but I had not thought about um, job and career and connecting to these people. And I remember telling my parents, I said, I'm going to get this degree, but I can't get a job with it. Mm-hmm. But I've never studied anything that's more exciting. Yeah, but uh-huh. when I finish, I said, I'm going to go get a degree. And I wanted something in a marketable skill. And that's when I started looking through and I, I you know, I was hearing about people doing agriculture, people doing medicine, mm-hmm. people doing business. And everyone was like clicking off going, not for me. Was that kind of the beginning of like businesses missions as like a whole? Yep. Like those were the days. Bam, businesses mission, and we were, and they used the word tent making. Some books were yeah. coming out saying, but a lot of it was looked upon as a, as just a way to pay for yourself to go. You know, tent making uh-huh. like Paul, and slow. It took a while for it to develop and say, no, this is just not about finances. This is about having a legitimate platform Deeper. that puts you in a place. Yeah. Uh, to connect in healthy, natural, organic relationships, um, building up a community. But for me, it was going to be a a horse to ride mm-hmm. to, to to launch me into this world of internationals. So this couple have convinced you to go get a master's in it. Yeah, that was the only path. We I didn't hear I didn't hear of certificates in those days, and I applied to school in California, and then had a scholarship to Memphis. Went to the U of M and I was their first graduate. How about that? The guinea pig, David. What year was that? Graduated in 86. And before I even finished it, I was getting offered jobs by the Board of Education to teach refugees that were arriving here in Memphis. And then I got a job at U of M at mm-hmm. Intensive English where you were. So I had two part-time jobs. Met a girl named Vicky. Mm-hmm. We got married in 87. And so I jumped into ESL all in. And, and started uh, to see what people were talking about with what kind of... Yeah, and I began to see, just become a classroom teacher mm-hmm. and right here. And how mm-hmm. well that prepared me for wherever I would be and probably going overseas. probably seeing too how organically it puts you in the lives of the oh, internationals. Oh, my goodness. It gave me... You know, there's always that who are you... Why are you here? How do we connect? You know, some people just walk on campus. Hi, I'd like to talk to you. Who are you? What's your context? And I just realized if it's hard at U of M, what's it going to be like if I move overseas? And I also, um, I got around professionals there in the English department and people that were talking about language. and, and And it ignited something in me that I too love language and that it is the, it it's one of the most amazing ways of understanding another people. I mean, if you want to know someone, you learn their mother tongue. And so it took me down that path of how do they learn a language, which then prepared me, of course, to learn a language. And, you know, Richard, practically, I think I remember somebody saying to me, David, before you ask somebody for a dollar, you know, to go overseas, uh, why don't you go figure out what it takes to earn one? Mm-hmm. And so that was a it's real a kick. Yeah. That was a real kick. And so that's when I, I jumped in and said, I'm going to teach and I'm going to work. And, and it's so, amazing to me how God used these like events and individuals to form all of this for you before you went. Because it there's so many 
people who get overseas and haven't thought through any of that. And then they're three, four, five years in and rethinking it. And I think here in this America, you know, you can just say, I work for this ministry or I work for this church or I'm just, no one cares. No one cares. I, I sit at home and check emails all morning because I work for this nonprofit. You can't do that a lot of that overseas, or at least in many of these closed places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. I remember in, I was in Mexico in 2010, I think, and I will never forget this interaction between this local kid and this uh, very obviously uh, foreigner that I was with, girl from Texas. And the kid said, what, like, what do you do? And just in clear Spanish said, I'm a missionary. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. And I, I just was like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just able and some meaning in some countries, there's an identity is acceptable. Yes. That's a context. You can, you can right. say that. But exactly. in, in many places, many places it is absolutely not. Yeah. But yeah. And so you see all these different aspects that are coming up, you know, there's the idea of paying for yourself. You know, self-paying, you know, what a creative way of getting a certificate or getting a degree, getting a marketable job so that you can just go over there and work for an existing. And I talk about these things in my book, Mission Smart. But then you, there's another one is, is that even allowed for you to not have a real job, a marketable identity? Mm-hmm. But then we've already touched on, but is that even the best way to engage with people? Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, and a lot of people want to know, are you here to harm, you know, can you imagine always being asked, do you work for the military? Or are you with, you know, the CIA and, you know, they've seen too many movies, but there's a lot of people that are, that have had experiences and they do read a lot of their crazy and watch their news. And they, they do wonder what foreigners are doing in there. Would you come out to my city or my country? Because we're not there for greater career development. They come here for a better life. Mm-hmm. But when you go the other direction and say, I want to live here in your town, your city, the question is, why? Okay, that doesn't make sense. Right. And so that was how that, that began to form. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I, so I was coming at it from a strategic standpoint, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sitting in high school going, I love English and I love literature right, right. and this is what I want to do with my life. I stopped and said, I want to get myself overseas. Mm-hmm. And so but I meet people like that. But you that. ended up connecting with it, with the vocation itself. Yes. Yeah. And especially when I was at U of M and began to realize, hey, I might be a Christian but I actually want to be the best English teacher today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want these students to say, I'm learning English because you're here. Mm-hmm. And the amazing platform that gave me into their lives. But just knowing you're my teacher, I'm your student, it just it it cleared up such a an issue that I feel like people don't realize is real here in America or anywhere in the world. Yeah. I need to know who you are. Um I remember being overseas and sometimes if I, if I watching people who didn't have an answer like that, Richard, they're always confused as to what you're doing here, where your money's coming from. It is hard to understand if you've never been to a country that is really homogenous, a place like Turkey or, um, a country that's very, um, 
very much has an idea of of like there's there's social rules and there's there's more of a fixed way of living and fixed lifestyles that people have there's not this sense of like individual liberty to choose to do whatever you want no one bothers you that's, that's very right. american very western but in a place like in many places like around the middle east or in asia or central asia you that's very strange and so then when when you're living in an environment like that the question is who are you who do you who do you belong to um what your, are you doing what, here what yeah. are you doing here why are you here and it's it's so I, I had a history professor, uh, is m- my modern Middle East history professor at U of M. He did his dissertation and a lot of his research in Istanbul and learned Turkish and, and Ottoman Turkish, which is impressive. Wow. Yeah. And he was telling me this story one time. He was sitting on the bus reading the newspaper, and um, as you find in some cultures, the people across the bus room were just staring at him. <laughs> Like, what is this weird, you know, he's, he's not the darkest person and, um, just confused with this American dude sitting there reading a a Turkish newspaper. And then he puts the paper down and he looks up at them and in clear Turkish, just like, what, what, (laughs) like, why are you staring at me? And they, they were, the Turkish people were caught off guard and just like, where's, I'm sorry, I just have never in my life seen something like this. Mm. Just bluntly. And then he was like, what do you mean? And they were like, just an American on the bus <laughs> reading a Turkish newspaper. It was just the most bizarre thing. And just that that's the kind of thing that a, if, you, if you haven't been in those environments, it's, it's, it's hard to understand. Like I remember when, when I first got to Baku, Azerbaijan um, in 2009 being on the bus and of course I'm in the first stage of culture shock and I'm just kind of bewildered by my surroundings everyone you know I'm, I'm used to the diversity of America and the way people dress and live and act and look and um, this is the this is the dead of winter I, I get on this bus and I keep talking about buses but I, I get on this bus and there's all these uh, folks who look totally the same. All the men look the same. They have the same haircut. Most of them have mustaches. <laughs> They're all in the same kind of coat. They're all wearing the same color. They all have the same kind of shoes on. They're all their behavior is all the same. Looks the same. I just had never been exposed to a homogenous group-oriented culture like that. Mm-hmm. That was um, it was. Uh, you didn't see the individuality. No, 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 no. And so that that <clears throat> kind of American um, proclivity to just mm-hmm. choose what I want to do and how I want to live and go do it freely is very uncommon around the world. You don't just um, do your own thing, and there's no context for mm-mm, it. Mm-mm. And as long as I can't figure out who you are, if my culture has a tendency towards distrusting outsiders because of what they may have brought in through history. As long as I can't understand who you are, I don't know how to relate to you. And that is always a barrier. Mm -hmm. Like we're here struggling to make a living. Mm -hmm. You know, we join incomes. We try to get a, we're in the government 
health services, but we've got a friend who's a private doctor that we might get to see on the weekends. You know, what's your plan of survival here? Mm -hmm. And if you're a little bit vague about who you are and what you're doing here, uh, you know, you're right. There are huge parts of the world that just Mm -hmm. will always struggle with trust, which, Mm -hmm. of course, is the first step towards engaging into a friendship, much less impacting Mm -hmm. their worldview. And, and it's there. There are cultural dynamics at play that we're not used to as well. With the way that people think about family relationships and friends, there's this concept in anthropology of um, inner circles, where your your ex. It's how how cultures and generally think about their expectations for friends and family, and strangers. Where in the United States we have typically small nuclear families, um, lots of acquaintances, some close friends. And then the lines get blurrier and blurrier as you get out to strangers. And so like in the TEFL course, one example I like to give is like, have you ever had an awkward conversation with a stranger like standing in line at Starbucks where it's just like, yeah, I've just got went through a divorce and now I'm, you know, this or that. And you're like, I didn't need any of that personal information from you. I don't right. know you. That, that kind of exchange is, is um, something that you find in the United States, but in a place like Turkey or, you know, around that region. Japan or... Yeah. You, if you're a stranger, you're properly a stranger. <laughs> and we don't talk to you or smile mm-hmm. at you or say hello in an elevator or we ignore you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we... But because you're... We don't trust you. There, there's a, It's a different cultural conception of who people are that we don't know and what we can expect from them. Um, and so even, even more so what of having a vocational identity yep. is pretty key. Yeah. So we're going to keep this conversation going. Uh, this is just part one. So what, yeah, just the things that we've, I guess, brought up here is about, there is clearly a, advantage of having a marketable skill, something you can use here, something you can use over there. It launches you quicker on the field or wherever you want to go or go, just go spend two years overseas working. I think Americans would all be better Mm -hmm. if they spent a couple of years in another culture. We've talked about it as strategic, a place where you can actually get a legitimate visa. And then for a while now, we've been talking about how it helps you actually relate to your community. It gives people a context for who you are. Um, so that's how I got into it. Um, we're going to end this part one, and then we're going to find out how Richard got into it and keep on going in this discussion. Thanks, Richard. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening today. Feel free to email us with your questions to david at esionline.org. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners how God is using this podcast. Our ministry is called Equipping Servants International, which exists to equip churches, organization, and individuals to reach the nations both at home and abroad. Our desire is to see people better equipped when they leave, be able to thrive and be effective on the field, and transition back home well. Our book is called Mission Smart, 15 Critical Questions to Ask Before Launching Overseas, and it's available on Amazon in paperback or Kindle.
Remember to subscribe to our podcast to get more episodes as they're published.